listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. Desert in the great American Northwest. No, not really. I'm not in the high desert. I wish I were, actually. Kind of in the rainforest, it actually. Sounds nice. Uh, no, I'm not in the high desert, but and I, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But that is uh, that's how Art Bell opens every yeah. show. And if if you know who Art you, Bell is, well, yeah. If you know my husband, you probably know who Art Bell is because nah, he talks about it all the time. I don't though. I talk about it to you. Well, my head is full of Art Bell trivia. Well, the reason I'm talking about Art Bell is because he he's a talk show host who had a show years ago in the 90s. I used to listen to him every night. It was an overnight radio talk show. And uh, he came out of retirement and just started a new show yesterday. Uh, well, today is, uh, today is Tuesday, July 20. First, twenty fifteen. Yeah, just yesterday he started. Whenever you're listening to this show, it's not the same day. But I'm just telling you. Yeah. Here's the deal: if you're a fan of Art Bell, or if you want to check out a really interesting, crazy talk show that's mostly about nonsense, but it's highly entertaining. It's cool. Uh, I know. No, it is cool. Actually, he taught. He'll. Art Bell has a show where they interview. All kinds of people, but it's mostly about the paranormal. Yeah. They talk about ghosts, ghosts, UFOs, UFOs, Bigfoot, near death experiences. Yeah. But he'll also interview like legitimate scientists, quantum physicists, uh, astronomers. Yep. Astrologers, astronauts, cosmonauts. Astro. Uh, anyway, the, uh, he, he opens his show by saying, from the high desert. And so, so that I just was have Art the... Bell on my mind because he's his new show is on right now. I should be listening to his show. But instead, we're but working instead, for I'm, you, the listener. That's right. I am sacrificing my own entertainment for yours. How do you like that? Anyway, uh... I, I just felt compelled to tell you to check out ArtBell.com and give his show a listen. Uh, if you're an old listener of ArtBell, if you're an old fan, you'll love what he's doing now. If you've never heard of the guy and you want a crazy podcast experience, uh, go check out his radio show. Uh, it's on the internet, but he's also got some radio affiliates. But anyway, it's ArtBell.com. Yeah, yeah. A-R-T-B-E-L-L. And that's today's monologue. This is The Fret Files, the world's premier guitar repair showdown podcast. It's a it, it's the the greatest podcast in the world. 
the best show in town. It's a, the world's best show in town. Very nice. Uh, my name's Eric Daw. This is the Fret Files. If you, if if yeah, you already know that. You if you're confused, you clicked on it. Yeah. How could you not know that? You clicked on a button that said, "Click here to listen to Eric Daw's Fret Files podcast." And now here I am telling you. That's a concise button. Yeah, well, <laughs> you got to get your, uh, your website in order. <laughs> Thank you so much for submitting all the questions. I've been inundated with questions because I pleaded my case so strongly last episode. Uh, and you guys came and through. They really came through. I got a ton of questions to answer. So let's dig right in uh, with listener questions, shall we? Sounds good. <laughs> Oh, uh, before we continue, you know, I would encourage you to participate in the show. Um, go to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com, and click the contact link and send me a, send me a question. I'll use it as part of this show. Or you can call, leave a voicemail at 757 757- Seven seven four, eight four eight two. Now on to the questions, Melissa, my lovely wife, who reads the questions. Here I am. Yes, here she is. All right, here's the first question of the night. Why are the bridge pickups on Stratocasters and Telecasters angled, but the other pickups are perpendicular to the strings? Thanks, Philip from Texas. Thanks, Philip. It's a great question. Um. If you want to understand that, you have to think about in terms of when when Leo Fender started designing electric guitars, he first started out with lap steels. And uh, this was back in a time when a guitar was usually, I mean, played on your lap. I mean, uh, uh, slide guitars, lap steel guitars, pedal steel guitars were very, very popular, and a guitar that you held upright was called a Spanish guitar. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, they were both very, very popular, but back in the day, what we just call, we just call it a guitar now, but it's a Spanish-style guitar, meaning you hold it upright. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but Leo Fender started out making lap steel guitars, and they typically have one pickup it's very close to the bridge and it's supposed to get a real uh not shrill but a very piercing trebly sound and um the closer the pickup is to the bridge uh the more piercing and and more trebly it is and so um the pole pieces for the treble strings would be very close to the bridge uh, unfortunately, on the bass strings, it's a heavier string. It's it has more mass, and it doesn't really uh, get much. Uh, it doesn't move much close to the bridge, so they would angle the pickup so that by the time the pickup was passing under the bass strings, it was a, f- a few inches away from the bridge because that's where the string was vibrating a little more. Where treble strings will, you can pick them up real close to the bridge bass strings you kind of can't so it was they tilted the pickup to get um uh, a more uniform sound from the strings Hmm. on on a lot of lap steels not all of course but uh 
That's something Leo Fender was doing on his lap steels, and when he designed the Telecaster, in his mind, he wanted a, a Spanish guitar that sounded like a lap steel. And so basically, he put a lap steel bridge on a on a Spanish style guitar. It's really it's it, you have to think of the Telecaster as the um, uh, from the point of view of a lap steel. Huh. That's what it is. Interesting. It's a Spanish style. So that's why the old Fender or the old Telecasters have the cover on the bridge. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was in an attempt to dress it up because it looked a little. But um, absolutely, it it would have been the same thing on a lap steel. It would have had a cover, you know, on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah, and and uh, my answer went way too lengthy. We have so many questions. I know. Okay, let's, let's keep moving. Let's move on. All right. Speaking of Leo Fender, we're receiving messages from beyond. What? Dear Eric, <laughs> Leo Fender here. I love your podcast and look forward to each new episode. As you can imagine, when you upload your podcast to the cloud, we get it loud and clear up here. This is an email from Leo Fender. Can you believe it? Where's Art Bell when you need him? I know, right? Anyway, I'd like to know if there's something that you'd like to know about Fender from the early days. How you think Fender (laughs) is doing to carry on my legacy. Not very good. And what would you advise Fender for the future? By the way, I was just talking with Dwayne Allman, and he's equally disgusted with the robot guitars that Gibson is selling these days. Anyway, thanks for your time. Best, Leo. I just, I don't have anything to say about it. I just thought it was funny that somebody wrote me an email pretending to be Leo Fender. No, it's real. That's Leo. No. Uh, Thanks for making me laugh. All right. Next. (laughs) You're not even going to comment on it? What am I going to say? Yeah, okay. Hey, Eric, do three saddle bridges have a different tone than six saddle bridges? And is it true that each pot or switch that's added to your pickup reduces the overall output? Thanks. Jonathan from Victoria, Canada. Yeah, yeah not so much switches, but definitely pots. Every time you uh, put a potentiometer in a circuit of a guitar, um, it is adding basically a resistor. That's what a potentiometer is. It's a variable resistor. Even when it's all the way up, there's still a load on the circuit. So, not very much, but yes, it does affect the sound of the guitar. If you were to remove your volume and tone pot, you might notice a slight increase in volume and tone and output. Switch, not so much, because a switch really is... There's no resistance to it other than, uh, you know... Uh, yeah, it's not a resistor. What about three yeah. saddle versus six saddle bridges? Uh, do three saddle bridges have a different tone than six saddle bridges? Yeah, a little bit, kind of. Yeah. Is yeah. it just intonation that? Yeah, it is a big difference as far as how they intonate. But um, I don't know. I prefer the three, the barrel bridges. I I prefer the three saddle bridges. That I just that's just. I'm just an old-fashioned guy that way. That's how the old ones were, and that's what I—that's what I like. Is there a huge tone difference? I don't know. I always think of it this way: if someone were to blindfold me and then make me listen to two identical tellies, one had a 
one had three saddles and one had six saddles, I wouldn't be able to tell you with any confidence which one is which. So in that case, I guess it doesn't really matter that much, now does it? However, the six saddle bridges look goofy to me. <laughs> they look funny, like somebody tried to put strat parts on it. Hmm. You can't make stallion strat parts. Mm. All right. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, Eric, I really enjoy the show and hope you keep getting questions. I wish there were more than one episode a month. Hey, you're lucky there's one episode. Yeah. We almost didn't we do almost, this. Yeah. I no, had, yeah. I, I, it was a. I understand. We decided to do this about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. I haven't even read most of these questions. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like my vintage guitar magazines. I run right through them as soon as they arrive. Anyway, with a modern Les Paul guitar, mine is traditional, I seem to always have some binding issues with the nut. Would you recommend replacing, or do I just need a good setup? Could you explain the advantages and disadvantages of modern versus 50s wiring on a Les Paul? On an early episode, you were discussing static with a Fender guitar. I have always had big problems with this. Here's what has not worked for me. Dryer sheets, dryer sheet under pickguard, shielding pickguard along with connecting to ground from pickguard, etc. Rubber. A satin nitro finish will always build up static and is unusable for me in low humidity. What usually works is to remove the pickguard and roughly sand the back. Perloid pickguards are the worst for static. If all else fails, as in my current telly, get a Bakelite pickguard and problem solved. Thanks, Doug in Virginia. Nice. Thanks, Doug. Interesting uh, solution. Lightly sand the back of the pit guard to make the static go away. I'll have to try that. I have not tried it, and I will. Thank you for the suggestion. His questions. Uh, he has a modern Les Paul and mm, has issues with, issues with the nut. Would you, re- would you recommend replacing, or do I just need a good setup? Yeah, maybe both. Um, it could probably be dialed in how it is. I'm assuming it's a, like, almost every Gibson, it has a basically a plastic nut on there. I'd want a bone nut if it were me, but um, either way, whether it's whatever material it's made out of, if it's not set up properly, then you are going to have problems with it. The other thing you might want to keep in mind is, um, if you haven't tried this already, uh, just put a little bit of graphite in the nut slot there. Cool. Uh, his other question was, can you explain the advantages and disadvantages of modern versus 50s wiring on a Les Paul? We touched on that in a previous episode, and I, you know, I've got to tell you, I really haven't um, done a ton of experimentation on that, so I'll have to get back to you on that. I just, I, it, it's one of those things that, uh, I, I don't think it makes much difference, but people claim it does, and I'd love, I'd love to tell you definitively, but, uh. Yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah. Cool. Uh, thanks, Doug. Thanks, Doug. Hi, Eric. This is Aaron from Turkey. Aaron, thank you so much for spelling your name phonetically, because he's got a, a, a different spelling for Aaron. So, thanks, Aaron. I'd like to thank you and Melissa for the great show. Please keep up the great work. I lived in the States for eight years, and I've been living in Turkey for the last two years. It's amazing how expensive guitars, amps, effects, and even strings are here. I'm glad I bought I'm glad I bought a few, actually quite a few, guitars, amps, and effects and gadgets from the US. I'm still shopping from the US whenever I visit, and being a big fan of your show, I still feel as if I live in the US, at least musically. Cool. 
My questions are about tellies. First, do you have any experience with Bill Lawrence pickups? How do you like them? The reason I asked is because I currently have a set of 280-290 pickups, single-sized humbuckers, and my guitar is shielded. The guitar doesn't sound as soulful, for lack of a better word, as Fat 50s in my Strat or Seymour Duncan's SSL1s. I'm guessing that's an expected trade-off with the humbuckers. Mm -hmm. Is it the pickups or the shielding and or both? What do you think? Second question is, there is a pop noise whenever my strings touch the pole pieces on that bridge pickup. Bill said this was normal, but I was curious if that is the case in all Tele Bridge pickups. Last question for this month. What is the song at the end of your show? It sounds great. Cheers, Aaron. Cool. Thanks, Aaron. That song at the end of every show is is me. Yeah. That's my. Uh, that's a song off of an album I did that I don't even think you can buy it anymore. There was there was one copy online that's gone now. Yeah, it was. I don't going even for think, like eighty bucks. Yeah, I don't even think I have a copy. Yeah, I've looked. We don't have any more copies. Uh, anyway, it's called uh, uh, Seaside. Yeah. And it's off of uh, a record, I, a CD that I did. And it was all done several in one years take. ago. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, just me. It's just a fingerstyle acoustic song I wrote. I'm glad you like it, Aaron. Thanks. His questions about guitars. Do you have any experience with Bill Lawrence pickups? Uh, a little. I've installed them. I've never owned any. I've installed a bunch. Um, I don't really care for them. But that's just me. You know, pickups. I'm, I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast, but they're like ice cream. Just because I don't like chocolate doesn't mean that you shouldn't like chocolate either. Uh, it's just a, it's a personal preference, you know, but it sounds to me from your email that you don't like them. And, uh, you know, that's this, the same problem that you're describing is the same, my same complaint with humbuckers. I've, I've always had a hard time getting a tone that I like out of humbuckers. They sound too dark to me. Um, and his other question was, there's a pop noise whenever the strings touch the pole pieces, and that's totally normal, and that'll happen on just any pickup. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, but if it's happening a lot, or happening while you play, that pickup is probably a little too close. You might just want to back it off just a hair, so that it doesn't do that. Yeah. While we're on this question, I think it's super cool that people from around the world are sending us questions. It is cool. I mean, people in the US, you you guys need to send us questions still too, but if oh, you're yeah. in some if you're in like Guam, we yeah. want to hear from you. That's great, man. Turkey, I think we've got questions from Australia and Canada, some strange other places. places like Iowa. Yeah. Oh. For strange far away places. <laughs> Is that um, near the Shire? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep them coming. I, I really do need your questions and uh, comments. And uh, here's some suggestions. I had one complaint. Uh -oh. I, had an, I had an email complaint. I didn't even, I didn't print it out in, as part of the questions. But one guy in particular said, more acoustic questions. Us acoustic guys are getting bored. Now... I will tell you, I, I'm just answering the questions that I'm getting sent to me. I work on a lot of acoustic guitars. I mean, it's 50% of my business. Maybe not quite 50%, but almost. And I do all kinds of work on acoustic guitars. I've done just about anything you can imagine. Uh, and so, 
yeah, send in your acoustic questions. I'm just answering the questions that are being sent to me. But maybe what I'd like to do um, here in the near future is an acoustic episode. Cool. So, so send in your acoustic questions. We'll do an acoustic episode. I know a few really outstanding acoustic guitar uh, builders and repairmen, and I'll pick one of them to interview, and we'll do an acoustic episode. That sounds awesome. The other thing I want to do, and uh, we're a few months out, uh, but for the October episode, I would like to do guitar repair horror stories. (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. For Halloween. So send me your guitar repair horror stories. Maybe you are the repairman and uh, you had a, a guitar that was just an absolute nightmare, or maybe... You bought a guitar that's, that someone tried to fix and botched it so terribly bad that uh, you just cursed the day that you bought it. Or uh, whatever. Whatever you can come up with that's a guitar repair horror story. And we'll do that if I get enough questions submitted or stories. We want to hear from you. Yes, indeed. Folks. So. To send in those questions or comments, go to ericdaw.com. E R I C D A W. Dot com. Do you get sick of me doing this? Nope. Click the contact link. Send me your question. I'll use it as part of the show. Or call 757-774-8482. You can also text that number. Sweet. Yeah. Next question. Next question. Uh, thank you, uh, uh, Aaron, from Turkey. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I like listening to the podcast. Thanks to you and the wife for doing it. I have an old Harmony acoustic guitar that needs a neck reset. Speaking of acoustics, Mm -hmm. I have done a reset before, but I am still learning. The question I have on this Harmony is the truss rod. The one that is in there now is a straight rod that has threads the entire length. It was too long for the channel, so I have removed it before I take the neck off. I don't really understand how this will work as a truss rod. I have used the two-way truss rods in neck builds, but this one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I assume it is supposed to be anchored at the heel end with the adjustment nut on the peg head. Is it worth trying to work with this truss rod? Remove the fretboard and replace with something else? Thanks, Robert. Cool. Thanks for your question, Robert. Typically, an old Harmony will have a truss rod that is basically um, two rods that are next to each other. Uh, One of them is threaded and one of them isn't. And then there's a little collar where the other rod kind of sits in a little channel. And uh, uh, they'll actually come right out of the neck. You can pull them straight right out of the neck. Um, they're, not, they're not anchored. It, uh, uh, it sounds to me, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, you, you say here that it, it has threads the entire length, but I'm assuming that you haven't seen the whole truss rod because you're saying uh, that you think it's that you think it's anchored at the heel. So, if it's a stock truss rod, the truss rod that should be in there, um, you loosen it up a little bit so there's no tension on it, and uh, get a hold of it with uh, some needle nose pliers and you know wrap the thing in leather or something so you don't damage it. But it it should pull straight right out of the neck. And then you can um, make sure it's working, functioning properly, and then put it back in. You you shouldn't have to replace it. Cool. 
Yeah. All right. Thanks, Robert. Eric, here's a question for your podcast. I have an MIM Strat that I've been really happy with, especially once I wired the bridge pickup to work with the rear rear tone control. No more Mm. ear-piercing bridge pickup tones. I've heard some people talk about replacing the stock Strat tremolo block with a solid steel or brass block to improve the tone and sustain of their guitar. Do you have any experience and or opinion on this? Thanks for the podcast. Stan from Iowa. Sweet. Thanks, Dan. Well, and the next question is real similar, so we're going to, let's read them together. Great. Hi, Eric. Will a Callaham bridge really improve the tone of an MIM Strat? Does the steel trem block really make a big difference? Thanks. Ray in Denver. Stan and Ray are on the same wavelength. Stan, have you met Ray? Ray? Stan? Stan? Ray? Okay. Uh, does it make a difference? Yeah, I mean, I always think of it this way. Anything that's contacting the string makes a difference. So the, the nut, the saddles, the bridge... These are things that actually do make a difference. So if, you're, if your Strat has a cheap pot metal trem block um, and you replace it with steel, uh, I think you will notice a slight difference. Uh, I really think that good quality materials in the string path make a difference. Is did I answer that properly? You're looking at me funny. Yeah. No, I'm look, I'm reading questions. Sorry. Uh, I'm reading ahead. Ray specifically said, will a Callaham bridge really improve the tone? Well, I, I don't know. It doesn't have to be that brand necessarily. You know, I, I like to use um, a bridge by Goto. Goto makes a really nice Strat bridge with a steel block. But yeah, I do like the steel block. Um bridges for strats i again i don't know if i'd be able to hear the difference in two identical guitars but uh uh, it's a quality difference i don't want a pop metal block and i typically i would not go with brass it's going to be too uh, heavy yeah cool yeah next question hi eric i'm listening all the way from melbourne australia And I really enjoy your podcast. I listen to you guys at work, and it keeps my love affair with the guitar going whilst I work away at my day job. Uh, Well, that's a nice comment. Thanks for sending that out. I'm glad you're a listener, and really, everybody, thanks for listening. I mean, we we appreciate it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We work hard. Hello from Japan, Eric. I've been enjoying your podcast the last couple months. I have not listened to all the episodes yet, so my question may have been discussed earlier in the show. I recently acquired a 2004 Fender Highway 1 Telecaster. I feel the neck pickup is too low. I wanted to adjust the height of it. However, I realized that I needed to remove the neck in order to remove the pickguard. Is it okay to swap out the pickguard for one, for the one with two pickup mounting holes so that I can adjust the height easily? Is the sound affected by this mod? Thanks in advance. Best Sabu-chan in Yokohama, Japan. Hmm. Sorry if I slaughtered your name. Yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, yeah, I I prefer when a tele-neck pickup is mounted directly to the body. Um, that's what I prefer. I, 
it's it's because it of the look. I I don't like seeing the the adjustment screws there. It just it's just a it's just purely an aesthetic thing for me. Um, I don't think it's going to have a huge effect on tone. Uh, it may have a little, but I I don't think it has a big effect on on the sound. It's mostly an aesthetic thing, and uh, yeah, I I prefer it when they're mounted to the wood. But that's just me. Cool. Yeah. Thanks for the question, man. Question for the Fred Files. I'm thinking of making a Gibson-style set neck guitar. Do you know of any sources for good, accurate body and neck router templates? Secondly, where would you purchase the truss rod and fingerboard from? Thanks for answering my Jazzmaster questions. You may check out the Stay Trem Bridge. It is high-quality improvement on the Mustang Bridge for about half the cost of the mastery. Just type in Stay Trem Bridge into Google. Also, your friend Bill Frizzell plays Jaguars and Jazzmasters. Nell Klein also loves the Jazzmaster, and both will actually play some jazz on them, so don't rip on them too hard. <laughs> LOL. Thanks, Glenn Madison, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Thanks, Glenn. I'm glad he was so uh, understanding about your... Yeah, I actually emailed him. Oh, you did? Good. I f- you know, I feel bad. I really did rip on Jazzmasters pretty hard, and I shouldn't. I- Here's the deal. You have to understand that vintage fenders are my favorite. Okay? So, when I say that I don't like Jazzmasters or I hate Jazzmasters, what I really mean is they're my least favorite vintage fender, which is still in the category of my favorite guitars. All right. Right? Yeah. I mean, if I had to uh, play an emergency gig and I had the choice of a Jazzmaster or a Les Paul, I would I'd choose the Jazzmaster, actually. You know, I, I can't get anything going on a Les Paul. I don't know. It's just, it's just not my style. That's all. You know, there's nothing wrong with a Les Paul. Some of my favorite players play them. Some, you know, yeah, there's nothing wrong with a Les Paul. It's just not for me. But uh, as far as Jazzmasters go, you know, personally, they're not for me. I don't mean to rip on them so hard, but... Uh, yeah. But you think they suck? I do. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. They're, it's just not. It's just not my thing. But it's a vin. You know, vintage Jazzmasters. I totally appreciate. They're they're great. They're beautiful. What can I say? Cool. Yeah. And his questions were: uh, Do you know of any sources for good, accurate body and neck router? templates for a Gibson set neck guitar. I honestly I don't because I've just never looked into it. I I'm I don't make Gibson style set neck guitars, so I have no idea. Sorry. Well, when when you need a template, where do you go? I make one. Oh. So there so there's a good source. Why don't you make one? Glenn. Cool. How, do do you have to have like a a guitar body to yeah, make one? Yeah. Well, um you know, to get the outline, it's pretty easy. You can just trace your buddy's Les Paul. I mean, I, you know, we, you'll have to, uh, yeah, gosh, I, yeah, I don't know. To get the uh, the neck pocket and everything right might be tricky. Well, here's what you can do. You can probably order templates for the neck pocket uh, and uh, things like that that, the uh, 
the the control cavity, things like that, and then make your own template for the hmm. for the overall guitar. I don't know. That sounds like that sounds like a lot of work to me. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it sounds like it'd be easier just to buy a body. I'm telling you, making a guitar is hard, especially if you're going to route the the whole body. If you're going to make the body from a from a chunk of wood. From, yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. And secondly, where would you purchase the truss rod and fingerboard from? Um. Stuart McDonald, probably, or LMI, one of those two. Luthier's Mercantile, yeah. Something. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for being such a good sport, Glenn. Indeed. Hi, Eric. Over the last two weeks, I've been binge listening to all of your podcasts. The Fretboard Journal turned me on to you. A couple of questions and then, a couple of comments and then questions. Great show. Your wife is the star. Sorry, dude. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Aren't you the Buddy Holly fan? Yes. Did, oh, yeah. That's me. Definitely. That's Eric. 15 years ago today, whenever he sent this email, Buddy Holly's Gibson was auctioned for over $230,000. Wow, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. It included the leather case Buddy himself made, which is something that I am into. Tooling leather. Tooling leather. Yeah. So I'm excited about this, too. Thought you'd get a kick out of that, unless I'm thinking of somebody else. No, that's great, man. That's is, that's, is that true? 230000 That seems like a lot for Buddy Holly's guitar. Doesn't if, it? I don't know. Maybe not. People like Buddy Holly, man. That's true. He's kind of a big deal. I mean... You know that song about um, American Pie? That's yes. about the day that Buddy Holly died. Did I, you, you knew that? Yeah, I think I told you about it. No. <laughs> uh, let's move on. I do my own light setups, mostly just truss rod and saddle height adjustments so far. What would be the next step for me? What is the next most common issue that requires maintenance? I'm mostly concerned with high-end acoustic guitars. Or asked another way, come birthday or Christmas time, what guitar maintenance gadget should I request from Santa? Hmm. What materials do you recommend for shimming acoustic guitar bone saddles to slightly raise them? Paul from Chicago. Thanks for the email, Paul. Um, yeah, so the next set of tools that I would recommend would be getting a set of nut files. Uh, that's what I would recommend because uh, it's really a big part of a setup that a lot of people overlook. Each slot has to be just the right depth and just the right width. And uh, when you really fine-tune the nut of a guitar to make it work properly, you'll notice a big difference if it, if it was very far off before. And it takes a lot of practice, so get yourself some nut files, and uh, yeah, that's what I'd recommend. Cool. Yeah. Andy asks, what material do you recommend for shimming acoustic guitar saddles? Um... A lot of shops use those little plastic, they're just, if you've ever seen one, you know what I'm talking about, or if you've ever taken the saddle out of your cheapo guitar and seen a little thin strip of plastic, most guitar shops use these little thin plastic cheapo shims, and I don't know, it's not the best solution. Uh, 
My preferred solution on a nice guitar with a bone saddle, if it needs to come up a little bit, um, well, it's nice to just make a new saddle for it. That's probably the best option if it needs to come up very far. But if you just want to shim it up a little bit and do it really in a nice way, what I like to do is take either rosewood or maple veneer and uh, super glue it to the bottom of the saddle, right? So you take the saddle out of the guitar, you super glue the saddle to the veneer, and then once the super glue dries, you can trim and uh, maybe sand just a little bit and just make it perfect. And you're just laminating a very thin strip of hard wood onto the bottom of the saddle. And because you super glued it, it's hard wood that's saturated with super glue. It's really a good way to do it because it's got full contact. It's not going to move. It's not a cheap, crappy piece of plastic. It's a good way to do it. That's what I would recommend. And you can go down to uh, Woodcraft if there's one in your neighborhood and pick up maple or rosewood veneer real cheap. It's not expensive to get just a, a little piece of veneer. Cool. Yeah. That's my trick. Good trick. Thank you. Hey, Eric, fellow guitar podcaster here. Love your show. On your last episode, you mentioned wanting more questions from listeners. So here goes. As a repair setup guy who is also a builder of really nice electric guitars, I'm curious as to what you think when this happens. Just imagine. Imagine if you will. A guy comes in with a budget-minded but respectable overseas guitar. Perhaps a Squire Classic Vibe Tally or similar? And then wants you to do some upgrades. Maybe some fret work, some higher-end tuners, maybe even boutique pickups installed. Perhaps upgrades that exceed the value of the guitar itself. Since you build custom guitars yourself, do you feel like you're polishing a turd and (laughs) wish the customer would have saved his money and invested in something nicer from the get-go? Do you appreciate the dirtbag musician mentality and think, he's getting a lot of bang for his buck with this finished product, or none of the above? Have any cheap, modded guitars exceeded your high expectations? That's from Jason at the Fretboard Journal. Sweet. Thanks, Jason. That's a great question, Jason. Yeah. Jason has a great podcast. If you haven't checked it out, you should. Jason uh, Verlindi over at the Fretboard Journal. Um, when someone brings me a cheap guitar and wants me to trick it out with higher-end hardware or tuners or pickups or whatever, it enables me to buy more diapers and, <laughs> and baby food and uh, pay the electric bill. So I can't complain too much about it. However, it is a bit of a turd polish. It really is. I mean, you you really never get um, you, you really never get your value out of it if you go to sell it and tell somebody, well, it's an it's an Epiphone, but I put uh, you know six hundred bucks worth of parts and labor into it. Now it's got a bone nut and boutique pickups. It's still an Epiphone, man. I mean, I you know I it's a little like putting a a Ferrari engine in a, in a Pinto. It's going to be an impressive ride, but it, does it make sense? Does it make sense? So, you know, there's kind of a balancing act. Don't go too cheap. 
One of the best ways to do this that I've seen is to take a guitar that's already really kind of cool and vintage, like vintage Japanese guitars, and trick those up. Because if you want to trick out a guitar, a 2015 Chinese guitar is really pretty soulless, you know? So, I mean, for example, I'm looking right now at one of my own personal guitars. It's a, a, a Harmony Strat, the H80T. And they're cool guitars. You can pick them up on eBay for 100 bucks. Put whatever pickups you want in them, you know? Usually the fretwork isn't that good or whatever, you know, but uh, you you can trick out those guitars and uh, you end up with, you know, here it is, it's it's a it's a vintage guitar. It kind of has the vibe of a cool old vintage guitar and it's been tricked out. So, you know, you don't want to trick out anything truly vintage because you don't want to chop up old guitars. But, yeah, I'm not crazy about... I'm not crazy about tricking out squires and epiphones that are new. I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me, but... I can understand I can understand the mentality of trying to get a lot of bang for your buck and it does make sense for a lot of players and especially if you don't have uh if you just don't have the money to go full Gibson or whatever you want to do yeah yeah it makes sense sometimes and you know like I said it's what I do for a living so I'm happy to do it <laughs> All right cool thanks Jason Hey, I have a quick question for your awesome podcast. For quite some time, I've been tempted to buy a Hagstrom Super Suede. I'm looking for a Les Paul-style guitar, but just can't justify the prices Gibson charges. And, in my humble opinion, the Hagstrom's headstock is an absolute work of art. Unfortunately, none of my local stores carry them, so I'd be buying sight unseen. So my question is, do you have any personal experience working with Hagstrom's, new or old, and if so, what is your opinion regarding their build quality? Thanks, Isaac Morris, Salt Lake City, Utah. Hmm. Hmm. Thanks, Isaac. Uh, the um, the the Hagstroms I've worked on. It seems like they had a weird string spacing at the bridge. It seems like they had a very uh, narrow set string spacing at the bridge. And I don't, I'm not crazy about their hardware. The bridges are goofy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just, it's just me. I'm not crazy about them. Um, if you were going to buy a Hagstrom, I would really strongly recommend playing one first. You know, I, I, I went through this with Rickenbacker. I love the way Rick guitars look. They're amazing. They're beautiful. Probably my favorite guitar as far as looks are concerned they they play like crap this is me it's just me I, I don't like the way they play I can't do a darn thing with them the necks feel weird they've got big you know thick lacquer over the fingerboard they're just they're goofy I, I wasn't the pickups are too jangly tinny sounding to me uh, you can't solo on them you try to bend a note and it's like what in the heck happened they look amazing yeah they're cool look at them go i mean they're a, they're they're a work of art whoever designed those really 
really nailed it. I mean, those are beautiful guitars, but I can't do a darn thing with them. And I've owned several because I keep trying to make it work. I can't make it work. So, you know, you might love the way they look. You really should play one first because for me, I've never liked the way, I've never played a Hagstrom that blew me away. Not at all. Um, if If you have to order one, make sure you find out about the return policy first. That's my suggestion to you, Isaac. By the way, nice name. That's my son's name. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Why do you think Gibson got rid of the volute that clearly reinforced the headstock on their guitars? Also, what are the true benefits of a set neck, neck through or bolt on? Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. I this I haven't even thought about this question. I I didn't read it beforehand. So, uh, but the volute. If do you know what the volute is? I have never heard. I had to ask you how to pronounce that word. Just behind the nut on a on a on a guitar neck. Mm-hmm. Imagine a big ridge sticking out like a like a thumbnail. Okay. <laughs> um, Gibson's they're mahogany. And mahogany is a is a softer wood than than maple. A lot of guitar necks are maple. Most Gibsons have a mahogany neck, and the neck comes straight up, and then the headstock is tilted back. Right. And so this little section where they've routed out the the truss rod access cavity, mm-hmm. this little section of the headstock where it's tilted back, and there's a there's a route for the truss rod cavity is a very vulnerable spot on a Gibson guitar. That this is where Gibson headstocks break, because because of the angle of the headstock, you end up with a very short grain pattern right there, and it's under tension. The guitar falls over. Whatever headstocks break on Gibsons. To remedy this, in the seventies, they I don't remember what year they started doing this, but they left a big kind of. Hmm. A volute. I don't know how. Well, I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's a little speed bump on the back of the neck, not where you would play it, but just above where your hand would. At the slant. Yeah, at the, at yeah, the at the slant. Yeah, between the tuners and the nut. Okay. On the back of the neck, it's got just a like a speed bump. That was to reinforce the problem area of the Gibson. Headstock design. I've seen plenty of Gibsons with volutes with broken headstocks. It didn't help. So you think that them getting rid of it was just... The The other thing about it is they introduced the volute coincidentally at the same time that their quality started going down. So this is this is how I've always heard it. And this is this makes sense to me. I don't know. This is kind of um, apocryphal guitar lore, but uh, people started associating volute Gibsons with poor quality because they introduced it at the same time their quality started going downhill. And so that's why they stopped. And so that's why they stopped doing the volute. Interesting. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I don't know, but the other option is, the the other reason that possibly they stopped doing it is because uh, it didn't seem to work. I've seen, like I say, 
I've seen plenty of Gibsons with volutes that the headstock still broke. It's not a it's not really a mass issue. It's the fact that there's an angle there and the grain pattern is too short. So there. Would I mean would a maple neck be better? Why oh, didn't yeah. they switch the wood? Why why would they Well, why didn't they use maple in the first place? I don't know. That's weird. Fenders have maple necks and they've got a different headstock design. Yeah. You never see well, you shouldn't say never, but you you almost never would see a he, a headstock break on a on a fender. It's not it's it's almost unheard of. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see sometimes sometimes fenders will um split where the where the tuner holes are. Sure. You know, so headstocks can break on fenders, sure, but it's not like the Gibson thing where the headstock you, will break the heads, off. Yeah, you look at it wrong and the headstock <laughs> breaks off. They're dainty little guitars, Gibsons. They're sure heavy for being dainty. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what are the true benefits of a set neck, neck through, or bolt on? Hmm, well, they all have their benefits and uh, detriments. Uh, with a bolt-on, obviously, the benefit is that you can swap out the neck if you need to, or that you can take off the neck to work on it. A lot of people believe that a, a set neck or a neck-through guitar has better tone transference between the neck and the body. I don't know that that's necessarily true. But a lot of people feel that way. Um, it it really never it really never bothers me to play a bolt on uh, neck guitar. That's what I like, actually. So yeah, the what are the true benefits of a set neck neck through or bolt on? I don't know. I mean, they're just it's just different construction styles. Um, on a set neck guitar if you have to change the neck angle it's <laughs> it's a much much more difficult process than it would be on a bolt-on a set neck would need a neck reset right that's correct and a bolt-on you just take it off and shim it yes okay yeah well i know which one i would pick I mean, bolt neck guitars are really, really more functional. They're easier to work on. They're easier to build. All right. Yeah, that's Thanks, my Aaron. answer. Thank you, Aaron. That does it for the questions. Woohoo! Uh, that does it for the questions. Everybody, thank you so much for submitting questions to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I wouldn't be able to do the podcast if you didn't submit questions. Thank you, Melissa, for joining me for the question segment, as always. Of course. Yeah, I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, I got some calls. I'll play the calls for you after the break. Stick around. This is Jay Boone, owner of Emerald City Guitars in downtown Seattle, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers, not only on the West Coast, but around the world. As we embark on our 20th year of business down here in Pioneer Square, we are striving to continue to bring you great service and great products. We're remodeling our whole store this year, and it's going to be amazing. We're also redoing our website, emeraldcityguitars.com, for our online customers around the world. 
We'd like to give a big shout out of appreciation for all your patronage over all the years down here at Emerald City Guitars. And we really strive to continue to bring the best that we can to our customers. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com or visit our shop at 83 South Washington Street in downtown Seattle. Our business line is 206-382-0231 and we're open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Remember, Emerald City Guitars, the best source for vintage guitars and amplifiers and service and repair. You know, I don't know if you know this, but my wife makes incredible leather goods, specifically guitar straps. She makes hand-tooled, amazing guitar straps, and she's sitting right here looking embarrassed. Thank you for saying that they're beautiful. And um, if you want to check out my guitar straps, you can head over to melcoleather.com. That's M-E-L-C-O leather.com. And that will direct you straight to my Etsy site, where, if you so wish, you can purchase and receive a beautiful, handmade, made-to-order guitar strap from yours truly. Do you take custom orders? I do. They're beautiful. You have to see them. Melcoleather.com. Right? Right. Uh as I make guitars, you know, we share a shop in the backyard there. As I'm making guitars, she's sitting in the other corner making straps, and I see her make these straps. She's so meticulous and so gifted. And Thanks. You're such a craftsman. Craftswoman? You're such a crafty person. You're so crafty. <laughs> uh, really high-quality leather, handmade leather guitar straps. Check them out. MelcoLeather.com. Hey, Eric. Paul from McCall. Hey, I just have a uh, question regarding... Um, I was just curious. What guitars do you own and do you like to play? And how many of them do you have? Do you still have the original one that you got as a kid or, or is that long gone? Anyway, and then the other one is... Uh, do you attend the NAM show every year, and what do you get out of it when, uh, when and if you are uh, able to go to that type of show? Anyway, just curious. Thanks. Love your show. Bye. Cool. Thanks for the question, Paul. You know, um, it's funny. I used to have a ton more guitars. I, I, I really had a lot of guitars. It, it was out of control. I had vintage Fenders. I had uh, old Dan Electros, Harmonies, all kinds of stuff. I've really whittled it down. I, I think I have about eight guitars now, and I really don't have anything of, of much value. Um, uh, probably the guitar I play most right now is, is, a, is an old Harmony Sovereign, believe it or not. One of those really jumbo-bodied Harmony Sovereigns that uh, I got for really cheap because it needed a lot of work, like those usually do. I did a neck reset on it and uh, some fret work and other stuff. I don't even remember what all I had to do to it, but that's probably the guitar I play most now. And, uh, yeah, I, I just don't have very many. I've, I've had a ton over the years. I've really whittled it down. And I, I think I do still have my first guitar. It is at my, I think it's at my parents' house in Idaho. <laughs> I'm not sure. They probably, uh, they probably sold it in a garage sale by now. I'm really not sure. I'll have to ask them. And uh, 
as far as the NAM show goes, uh, I've been to a few. I, uh, I think I've been to two of them. And what do I get out of it? Uh, sore feet. You know, it's like going to Disneyland, but there's no fun rides. You just walk around. No, it's cool. I like the NAM show. It is an interesting insider's look into uh, what's going on in the guitar world. It's a it's a bit soulless. I don't know how else to to describe it. I mean, it's a trade show, you know. So it it's a lot of salesmen. <laughs> even though they're even though they're talking about guitars, they're they're still salesmen. Uh, so there's a lot of that. It's it's kind of cheesy, but if you know what to look for, and if if you go check out the stuff that you're really interested in, it can be pretty cool, man. And you see a lot of neat stuff there. Uh, I I think I ran into Stevie Wonder both times uh, that I went down there. I, I mean, not, you know, I didn't run into him like, oh hey Stevie, uh, but I saw him. I saw Stevie Wonder just, you know, walking around being being led around by his uh, bodyguards. So that was interesting. So, but no, it's it's cool. The NAM show's cool. I don't really look forward to going to many more of them if if ever. I don't know. As a uh if you're in the business, it's a really good move. You make a lot of connections, you learn a lot. It really uh when I went down this last time, it was with the group for Emerald City and we uh we got a lot of good information down there that was pretty cool. So it was worth going to, but uh it's it's pretty taxing, I think. But it's fun. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for the question. Hey Eric. It's Mark in Balmy, Tupelo, Mississippi. Um I've got a question about some different ways you can wire up guitars, like thinking about mainly strats and tellies. I wired up a tele, uh, parts tele I built, and I sort of took the two pickups and wired them together the way a jazz bass is wired. So I had one tone and then two, uh, two volumes for each pickup. So each pickup had a volume. And then you could sort of mix and get in there. And then I had a cut switch to where you could cut it back. And the guy that ended up buying it from me really liked it that way. So I was wondering, you said in a previous podcast that you have a bunch of different ways you like to wire up tellies and the different pinup guitars you do. Uh, maybe you could talk about that some. And I uh, hope you guys are doing good. Later. Cool man, thanks for the question. That sounds like a cool way to wire up a Strat. I've, uh, I don't think I've ever done that. I, I have come up with all kinds of crazy ways to wire Strats and Tellies, especially uh, some crazy things on Les Pauls and other guitars too. But I'm mostly a Telly guy, so that's what I've mostly uh, worked on um, as far as developing weird wiring schematics for my own personal guitars. And uh, I've incorporated them into the guitars that I make. But yeah, the the main reason that I started uh, doing that, the main reason that I started researching into that was that I was just so unhappy with the way tele neck 
pickups sounded. Uh, they just sounded, they just sound too dark to me. And so I came up with a way to wire it so that you had just a little bit of the bridge pickup still when you were on the neck pickup. And it had such an interesting sound. And then I started experimenting with different, uh, different ways to accomplish that and using different, different filters with different capacitors and, uh, different ways to shape the the circuit using different resistors and I came up with about four or five really interesting different telecaster style uh, wiring schematics and someday I'll someday I'll release those as some kind of maybe a downloadable ebook or maybe even a hard copy book or something something that people can buy it's it's really a lot to try to describe here but um, they generally use uh, unique wiring systems and uh, capacitors and resistors actually hardwired to the switch to shape the tone. And uh, then uh, sometimes even uh, with using a five-way super switch. So that's always fun. Huh. And it's sometimes it's tricky to get that five-way super switch stuffed into a tele cavity. It's that's a tight fit, man. That is a tight fit right there. But thank you so much for the call, and uh, thanks everybody for participating in the show. I do so much appreciate it, and uh, you can check out what I do at ericdaw.com or pinupcustomguitars.com, and of course I'm the uh, also the the full-time uh, repair guy at Emerald City Guitars here in Seattle. And uh, so if you're in Seattle, I invite you to come on down and say hi. Tell me that you listen to the podcast. And uh, if you have any guitars that need help or if you need advice, I'm around. So anyway, thanks, guys. See you next month.